Hi, everybody. You're listening to Let's Talk ETC. I'm your host, Carlo V, along with my co-host, Dr. Christian Severino. I uh, just want to thank everybody for check, taking the time to check out the sh- Damn it. I'm going to do oh, it again. We always, we always have one of those. We always have one of those. <laughs> I, said, I don't have my script in front of me right now. That was good. You're on a roll. All right. Here we go. Okay. One, two, three. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Let's Talk ETC. I'm your host, Carlo V, along with my co-host, Dr. Christian Severino. We have a really special guest with us this week. He goes by Don't Panic Burns on the ETC Slack and also on the ETC Reddit. Uh, Also in the news, uh, we've had a pretty turbulent week with the markets. So uh, anybody that's freaking out a little bit about Bitcoin, ETC, whatever you got in your crypto portfolio, don't worry too much. Looks like we had a nice bounce back today and uh, things are starting to settle in. But uh, as you guys know, these are turbulent times 24 7, 365. So for anybody new, uh, get used to it because it, it really never changes. It always feels like there's something going on. And uh, also, a special note about this time last year, the Dow incident occurred, which kind of set this whole ETC thing in motion. Um, so maybe we can uh, get a little bit more into that later on in the show. But First, I just want to introduce Cody. Cody, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, welcome. So, uh, Cody, something we'd like to do on the show, at least for someone's first time on, is kind of give a little introduction and people's background so anyone listening can hear about uh, some of the cool people that are working on the project behind the scenes. So, what was your kind of background leading into tech, you know, um, whenever that was or whatever you were doing? Uh, well, I guess it started out, I was, I had computers ever since I was a teenager. I was pretty fortunate. Uh, so I grew up in a small town in East Texas where there wasn't very many people or things to do, but <laughs> like I said, I had a computer, so I learned how to program and I've always just really loved technology and it's, hmm. this was early nineties is whenever I, I guess, started in computers. I had a PI-99 was my first computer. You had to program it in BASIC just to get it going. Oh, that was my first one also, the 994A? Yep, Yep, 994A. Bill Cosby sold it. (laughs) (laughs) See, to me, I hear that, and all I hear is calculator, but I guess that was a computer back in the early 90s. It was a fancy calculator, at least. (laughs) But yeah, but it's uh, probably as powerful as the EVM, at least. (laughs) 16 kilobytes of memory, if my if I recall correctly. Yeah, sounds like a beast. Yeah, you could plug a tape player into it if you wanted to save your program. Yep, I did that. Half the time. time, Yeah. Could you could you play Snake on it? That's the that's the question. Uh, Oh yeah, you could play Snake and Tanks and stuff if you just spent three or four days sitting there programming (laughs) it all in and didn't have any mistakes (laughs) in your code, whatever you got through. So it was. uh, Okay, so so computers, computers at a young age, uh, that yeah. definitely lends itself to to being a, you know um, as skilled as as definitely you are with all this stuff. So computers at a young age, and then uh, college, uh, did you so, stay uh, in Texas? You leave Texas? Left Texas. Like I said, I grew up in a really small town, so that was the first thing I wanted to do was get out of there because I had no desire to marry my cousin or be a pro rodeo star <laughs> or. 
whatever. So I okay. ran away from home and joined the Marines whenever I was 18. So that's wow. where I got into communications. I went to boot camp in San Diego, and then I was in uh, 29 Palms, California for a year doing communication school. So I did. Uh, and so, so how long? How long total were you in the the Marines for? Uh, nine years total. Wow. Yeah, my first uh, enlistment was five years because of the year of school, and then after that, I wanted to be a drill instructor for some reason. And <laughs> you did what? Yeah, I was a well, briefly, I was a drill instructor in uh, Paris Island. That didn't work out well. Okay. What? What? Where? So you were a drill instructor, but then. You it wasn't working out, and did they reassign you to to something else, or you you chose, or they chose? What happened with that? Uh, it was a mutual thing, I guess. <laughs> it was a uh, not a shining moment in my military career, but I went back to doing communication stuff, and then went to Iraq, and then I decided to get out and go to college. So, so you're you're a nerd that can defend himself. That's, yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So, so you went. So you you were into computers. Mm -hmm. You were into developing. Joined the Marines. Then you were a drill instructor. Went to Iraq and came back and went to college. Where Where did you go? Right. Uh, I went to. Uh, I did it online because by that time I was married, had kids. So. Right. Right. Well, uh, by the way, to... for anyone uh, listening, we were having a conversation um, before the show, and I was mentioning I kind of knew. Cody's backstory a little bit, and I said that he was at out of the ETC world. He's the most interesting man of the ETC world for for sure. <laughs> so, um, so so okay. So you uh, so you were settled down. You got uh, your you know went to college online for your degree and everything, and uh, and then you got back into tech. Uh, yeah, once I got out, uh, I got a job as a firefighter, and because uh, I had my communications and electronics and all that background, uh, I ended up working at a 911 center okay. while I was uh, I was an EMT firefighter and then doing yeah. uh, the communication stuff also. So I did that for Jesus. about three years while I finished my bachelor's degree. And Are your days like 35 hours long or something? <laughs> <laughs> sure feels he's like an, it sometimes. He's an EMT, he's an EMT firefighter Doing the nine one one and the communications, and going to college with a wife and kid, I feel like yep. I can't accomplish anything right now. <laughs> wait, wait, well, now all right. So, yeah, now I'm curious. So, was that stressful? Like, if you, you know, you you uh, you uh, come was home, that stressful? Come, yeah. come come to work. Uh, you know, lay, lay down on the job and uh, oops, sorry, I, we couldn't send the ambulance out on time. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't a really high uh, turnover. We didn't run a whole lot of calls. I worked in uh, a really nice part of town, so things didn't really catch on fire that often. Okay. Medical calls were most of it. So we'd work 24-hour uh, shifts, so you'd get there at 7 and then sleep at night, eat meals there, and okay. then you work one day gotcha. on, one day off, one day on, and then like five days off. So, okay. I mean, so it sounds like gotcha. What did you do after, um, or maybe you still work for for that, or did you do something else after that? Uh, after that, I uh, uh, went uh, to oil and gas stuff, okay. doing a seismic surveying. So it's pretty much you go out ahead of the drilling crews. Mm -hmm. Whenever they pick a area 
they want to figure out what's underneath it. So they go out and do a survey of it. And you basically collect all the, find out who owns all the land, who has the surface rights, the mineral rights, and uh, then take a big sonogram pretty much of the whole area. Okay. So, so, so then he became an oil man. Now, well, that was, how, that how was, did you get into that? It was a family business. That's what my dad had always done. So. Okay, I see. I see. Yeah. So that yeah, was. Yeah, I can see the communication so, so thing. Cool. Yeah, the the acoustics. You you could use your communications background there. That made it a little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, actually pretty tech heavy because you need to store that amount of data. You used to have terabytes and terabytes of data that they've kept for years, and they process sure. through all of it because they'll do a hundred square mile area. So it's pretty data right. intensive. Right. And that got me into databases and uh, kind of cluster computing, more or less, because we always had just shitty computers. So <laughs> figuring out how to hook them all together and yep. try to make a halfway powerful computer <laughs> so right. we so could is, make it do what we wanted to do. Is, so is that all the stuff you did, or did you then take a, a uh, you know, do something even more uh, different? They wanted uh, to take him to the moon, but he said he was busy. Yeah, <laughs> that's on hold still. Uh, no, that's whenever I started doing uh, the master's degree. That's whenever I was doing that. Okay. So, University of Houston, I started to get my MBA because I just wanted to learn more about business and stuff. Okay. So, so, so how did you uh, find yourself then in um, in did you so uh, blockchain? Did you in so yeah, blockchain, yeah. But, but was your degree in software? Uh, which one? Computer science. Your your bachelor's. Bachelor's was in emergency management. Okay, and then so you got disaster an MBA. recovery and stuff. Yeah, I got my. So you uh, worked on an MBA. Yeah, I, well, I just finished it last May. I got my MBA. Okay, so I've so never then, actually went to college for computer stuff. I see. So are you? Uh, do you? Are, are you big uh, into your self-taught programming? Big into programming? Uh, I try to be. I mean, I can program okay. <laughs> I'm not, okay. I'm not super great at it. That's why I'd probably never have a job as a real developer. But I can recode okay. and figure out find buttons and things like that. And then, that. so how did you fall into ETC? Uh, well, I was got into Bitcoin back in whenever it surged big. I think 14 or so. Where I was, everyone thought, oh, well, we totally missed the bus on this because it just hit a thousand dollars. So we'll never own a Bitcoin. Right. And uh, then it crashed. So that's the right. time I got, in, got into right. Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. uh, and uh, during the oil and gas stuff, that's when one of the big parts of it was finding all the land records. And it is okay. an absolute nightmare if you go anywhere like Louisiana or Pennsylvania or anywhere where anyone's actually looking for oil right now. Okay. Because you have to go to courthouses and then dig through courthouse records and find a chain of title all the way back to whenever the first person sold the land. Follow all the splits in it, and it's just terrible. So, around the end of 2015, I think, is uh, when I heard of Ethereum for the first time. That was seemed like the missing link in all the blockchain stuff for me. Well, Bitcoin was. It wasn't called blockchain back then, really. Uh -huh. <laughs> Everyone. Right. Yeah. Did you bring up the land title? Uh, issue because you thought that that blockchains would be helpful for that or? yeah they'd be they still would be very helpful for it you could get a local government or something to 
digitize all the records. That was completely now, I, revolutionary. I imagine that's kind of something that uh, Factum is working on, I believe. Correct? I mean, not working on. They're doing it. Right. Uh, Factum. Um, yeah, so I they're think, doing some pretty cool stuff. I think for uh, you would agree. So in America, it's just an annoyance having to work hard, dig up the records. But I think in other countries, like I think Honduras had an, a big problem with that, where yeah. they, the dictator c can just say, wait, hold, no, that's you. you uh, that's not the records. I have the, the accurate records. And yeah, can, that's what I think Factum's doing theirs in uh, South America right now. They have a contract down there. Okay. Which yeah, is hard enough yeah, in, I, in, I guess, the civilized world of the United States, so as yeah. civilized as southern Louisiana can be. <laughs> but you'll have, <laughs> I guess, basically the tools that whenever they were going through doing the original surveys was back in 100 years ago, as accurate as they could get the instruments. And okay. if you're shooting a line out 2,000 or 3,000 feet, then you just carry error with you so much. So there's always going to be some mistakes in it. And okay. Then someone's brother sold something and didn't tell anybody. And there was always little right. little quirks to it going through. So, But if it was a public distributed ledger, then everybody could see it at once. And that was always what would, I thought would be an awesome use for Ethereum. Right. That, and so, like, so that was back in 15. Okay, and so you got you were interested in Ethereum, and then how did uh, what got you to uh, focus on Ethereum Classic? Uh, well, to be honest, whenever the split was happening uh -huh. last year, this time I didn't think anyone would actually stay with the other chain. Okay, it right. didn't make any sense that if you're gonna reverse transactions and stuff like that, it would have any value. So. Just didn't make any sense to me that anyone would actually stay with it. I, turns out I was wrong, so <laughs> I'll okay. admit that. But apparently, so, so you some people were into it. Yeah, you disagreed with the the reversal or the, the uh, what the state changes. I guess is the correct, technically right way to say it. Yeah, the regenesis block, I guess. Okay. Yeah. All right. So and then. Um, so we've talked about your background, then why don't you kind of share some of the things you're working on related to ETC? Uh, right now, the big thing that we're working on, Elaine and Chuck and I have been working on the token mint. The, okay. It's going to be, a, I guess, an educational platform more or less for okay. deploying the ERC-223 tokens and having crowd sales. And it's uh, okay. we started a couple weeks ago. Uh, on the classic wallet, we made the, I guess, more or less troll site of the ICO machine. Now we've just, uh -huh. we've split that off into its own project. And okay. You'll be able to deploy tokens with one click and mm -hmm. uh, have crowd sales and actually try to educate people on the different types of crowd sales, right. what a victory auction is. or. So do you just, prefer the term crowd sale to initial coin offering? Does ICO? Definitely don't say, yeah, you definitely shouldn't say ICO anymore. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, <laughs> people, keep, people keep doing it. Actually, what I wanted to ask you about also is, um, uh, so for anybody listening, uh, uh, Cody, or don't panic, or, you know, uh, whatever mm -hmm. moniker you want to call him, Cody was here since, you know, day one with ETC. Uh, and he's just done so much for the community in so many different ways. Uh, so first, I, I want to thank you on air for, for everything you've done. 
And also, uh, now that we're kind of approaching this whole DAO anniversary date, um, where, what, what do you see as how far you know, ETC has come and some of the differences in the industry from last year to this year, like uh, kind of in reference to the, cli the global climate of everything that's going on and how things are now and maybe some things you see for the future? Because it just seems like, um, you know, the Dow feels like yesterday, but it's, it's now been a whole year, <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much since uh, that happened. And so much has happened since then, but also, you know, things are, things are the same and yet they're different, you know? Yeah. Like the, it's a, ETC, I feel like we've done a whole lot in the last year compared to, I, like I said, I don't follow ETH as much, but I mean, ETC that capped the supply, uh, disabled the difficulty bomb. We've, managed to stay alive for an entire year without any of the funding or support of uh that the other chain has i mean we don't have the marketing there's not huge press events we don't have mm -hmm. paid spokesmen but i mean just as a community effort with etc the price now is higher than it was last year if price is a indicator of it like i said we don't have the hype cycle that the other ones do but as far as technological and just systems, I think ETC's done a lot. Uh, the Emerald Wallet's coming out. I know Igor's been working on the Sputnik yeah. EVM. IOHK has been working on their client and reworking the, uh, I think, yeah, what the, the, the Scala, the, yeah, yeah, the Scala, Scala Grotendieck client, right? Yeah. Right. So, like I said, it feels like ETC, we've, done a lot the investment trust has come around that's right yes we have good fundamentals yeah and like i said we have terrible marketing but everything else is pretty solid uh we don't have a solid inflow of icos i guess we don't have people pumping the crap out of the system but we're working on that so but <laughs> <laughs> crowd uh, sales crowd sales uh, I saw yesterday that Expanse is going to start focusing on that too, the other type of uh, Ethereum. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I know the Expanse chain. Lab. Yeah, they're, they have a token lab that's coming out for them, which is kind of the same thing as Token Mint, where you'll be able to just easily launch standardized contracts. Now, is the reason you were motivated partly to do Token Mint because you had a lot of people that were confused or making uh, buggy crowd sale contracts? Not so much buggy as it just seems like there's a whole lot of mystery behind it, the whole process. Of everyone thinks, oh, it's an ICO. They've done something special and magical. And uh, with, the, with the first version we put out, we literally copy and pasted the code that's on the front page of ethereum.org. And the first contract on there is how to make a token, and the second one is how to do a crowd sale. So we just took that and put it with a one-click button. Okay. Yeah. I, right now there's – Go ahead. I was going to say right now, like I said, it, a new token comes out every other day, and they're pretty much reinventing the wheel, and mm -hmm. it's like they've invented fire, and all they're doing is making the simplest contract that you can on Ethereum. Yeah. So do you get a lot of emails from startups saying, please help us to do a token or do a crowd sale? Mm, no, I haven't yet. 
Okay. Maybe I perhaps maybe yeah maybe after token mint gets going. Okay. All right. And yeah, I think the uh, infrastructure okay. for that is still being developed and. Um, yeah. Well, that's a big Hopefully. problem on both chains is that there's not really good uh, user interfaces. It's everyone's yeah. still super focused on, oh, look, I can do this. All you have to do is enter these commands into the prompt, and then it'll do this and that. And <laughs> there's not a nice, pretty face in front of it sure. as far as software goes. That's what I guess token will bring to the table is you can look at it, and anybody could say, oh, well, look, you just put this field here and here. And, the code's in the background. You don't really have to think about it. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Now, and then also another project that you mentioned that you were working on, which seemed interesting to me, is um, StateBot. Can you yeah. kind of introduce the audience to what that's all about? Yeah, StateBot. It's uh, at statebot.info right now. It's just a top-level domain. It's entirely run on uh, IPFS and ETC. Okay. And a Raspberry Pi back end of it but uh every week it's run a parody and it keeps the database synced and it's so around saturday it stops and it starts exporting the whole state so every single account that's ever been mm -hmm. mentioned on the chain whether it has zero balance and anything it's about i want to say 1.8 gigs worth of a json file right now uh -huh. so it exports that and then uploads it to the ipfs cluster and uh then it sends the hash of it to uh, its smart contract. And the smart contract is read by another system that's running on IPFS. So the whole web front end is on IPFS. And it just pings one of the public APIs and gets the data from the contract. OK. So there's so much we could talk about for that that's interesting. So for the people that don't know, so IPFS is an interplanetary file system. So it's a basically a distributed file system that supports ETC, right? Because it would be too expensive to store gigabytes of data on the ETC blockchain. Right. Um, now, what was the need, what was the use case? So because we all agree that the blockchain is secure, there's no danger that anybody could mess with the state, right? And so what, mm -hmm. what was the, the, the reason that you were motivated to write the state to IPFS? Because it's really hard to find information on it. If you wanted to query accounts, it's not an easy task to do. And if it's in a JSON format, then anybody can just link to it and pull it into a database and see how many accounts are above one ETC balance and just count oh, the total okay. number of accounts and anything you want to do. You can find out how many, if you had a snippet of code, you can find out how many times that snippet of code's in there just with a yeah. You can pull in the R project or link yeah, it on so, your website. So I so the blockchain it's is secure. Nobody's disputing that, but the blockchain mm -hmm. basically is it, it has hashes. So you could you could in principle get the state at any point in time you wanted, but you have to rerun the world computer from right the beginning of time. Yeah. And so it's possible and it's secure, but it's annoying. But with your system you, you, it's much more convenient. Okay, so now I can see why. Yeah, it's just a weekly snapshot of every account that's been out there. So Otherwise, the, you'd have to be running a full node and yeah, yeah, and query even each the, account yourself. That's right. And when you run a full node, you it's it's optional whether you want to store the state. For right. 
so then that of course requires so much more storage space um and so some people elect not to do that but um the, the first the, the obvious concern then is how secure can somebody extract the state let's say from three days ago right mm -hmm. have you have you do you have any what can you say to assure you know people that have that worry uh if they're wondering if uh how if there's been any changes or anything on the state bots or is that what you're saying oh it likes is could somebody mess with the state that you store with state bot it would it be is there a security risk if i trust your state rather than replaying the entire blockchain uh, information um there shouldn't be i guess is the <laughs> easiest answer to it uh whenever that it goes into the ipfs system okay. it takes the hash of the whole file okay and then that's the link to it whenever you're whenever you uh try to get a file out of ipfs any system okay. that's on the network can get it they just have to have the hash of it oh so, okay so i see so if i was worried about you know tampering i could i could hash what i get from what i can i could hash my json file to, to mm -hmm. verify that it was not tampered with okay yeah so that's that's certainly uh secure and um also for people that don't, i'm kind of curious about ipfs um mm -hmm. so it's distributed just like etc is distributed but um how like do people do you have to pay for the storage that you're using or can you kind of describe it so maybe if people want to have an application that that needs a lot of storage how does how does that work right uh it's not like storage where with storage uh it's another file system but with storage everyone shares the same files everything's spread across the system and you get paid for the storage you want okay. uh, with ipfs it's your local system you run a node yourself and everything you put on it is just on your system if okay. somebody wants to share it out it's just like the pirate bay they have to know whatever hash whatever file you're trying to share with them and then they would download the file from you and then both of you would have a copy and if a third person wanted it then it would pull from both of you and it spreads like that so it's more of a file sharing system oh okay so then you have a server with a fat hard drive someplace that you're right. writing okay and so then uh, you're saying and then if there was a lot of demand then then it would automatically get distributed across. yeah as more people as you download a file from ipfs it stays on your system and it starts seeding out to other computers that want okay. it and how so did you, you don't store with, other people's stuff yeah how did you come up with with the idea for statebot that's kind of clever uh it was i just couldn't find the information that i wanted to in an easy format because that's what i was trying to do was just do analysis on the blockchain okay and pull it into our project and then i started playing with ipfs and it seemed really cool and that's when i found out you could host a whole website uh on your ipfs and okay. people could reach it from the outside world and you could put a top level domain on it so okay that's really cool now you talked about analysis is there any anything you're cooking up in the other projects that you're that that pertains to that you you want to share uh no nothing <laughs> nothing uh really Here, here's something uh-huh oh i i was gonna say here's something that i i want to ask you about so you know now that we've come from last year to this year and you know we're talking like tangible type of stuff but I know actually Matt or Snaproll hates these questions, but what do, what do you see 
you know, given that you have such a, a history of so many different fields that you've worked in and so many different applications, I'm sure you could think of for blockchain. What do you see as kind of some of the, the future use cases for ETC that you could just brainstorm off the top of your head, whether they're really feasible or not, you know, um, that can be debatable, but just right. some things that you'd love for ETC to potentially be used for. And maybe anyone listening out there who's a developer can start thinking of, of ways to get it done. Uh, financial instruments are still a big one. I think it'd be really neat if uh, securities and just public records in general can be stored on a blockchain that could tie into a public. Because the public ledgers, I think, the way to go. I don't understand the principle behind having private blockchains. It's you easily do the same stuff with a SQL database and yeah. a thousand times faster <laughs> and not have the security risk of it. But with the public chains, it's if you're doing stuff like Airbnb or something like that, and you can actually tie it into a blockchain, then that actually has value. You said uh, Airbnb. Uh, can you expand on that more, the Airbnb and, and blockchain? Right. Uh, things that, I guess, involve two different people that don't trust each other, the best use case for it. Like okay, token I, I contracts, see. I don't really, yeah. Token contracts, it seems like it's just a company who might as well just be selling gift cards or be running a World of Warcraft server type thing and just have their own uh, service. It doesn't, I don't see what the value of having it on a public blockchain other than you get to say the magic word blockchain and ICO and get $30 million in five minutes. <laughs> but if you're doing a, setting up a service where two counterparties can meet each other and then not have to trust in a third party, then that's where I see the value in the public chain. If you could have a registry of like apartments that are open. Uh, I went to Hong Kong last year and space there is ridiculously expensive. Like for a 600 square foot room, it was thousands of dollars a month. So if you wanted to sublet that out, you could list it on a registry and then somebody else could get it off the registry and meet meet up without having to involve a third party. That'd be a really cool use case. And then of course the, and the land titles like we were talking about. Yeah. yeah, public land titles. Reducing the overhead on that would be great. Or uh, futures contracts. That was one of the first things I was thinking about with ETC was uh, with the miners being able to, uh, I guess, do more or less time locking futures contracts with selling their hacks. Someone could pay uh, pay a miner 100 ETC today, and then the miner would mine into a contract and then pick it up on, at the end of the month. That money would be released to their account. So you'd pay 100 ETC today for 100 ETC at the end of the month. And then so the miners like, could finance their stuff. So, like, like, is that would that be for like insurance for uh, miners? More or less financing for it, because that's the hardest part with any commodity is whether you're drilling for oil or growing crops. The hardest part is the startup, because if you're a farmer and you're trying to raise corn, you don't know what the price of corn is going to be at the end of it, so you don't even know if it's worth your effort. But that's forward contracts or future contracts take that mystery out of it. Someone can, a oh, baker okay. can Finance. pay the farmer now. I see. Yeah. So, so the end user can pay a fixed price today and they'll know they have a guaranteed supply whenever they need it. And the farmer can get the money today so that he 
doesn't have to worry about, oh, if I grow this corn and I sell it in the future, is the price going up or down? It's okay. pretty much a closed system. So that would be a secure and efficient way to uh, fund mining, the expansion of mining, EPC mining yes. then? Yeah, okay. if you're someone who's trying to run a mining business, they don't really care, I guess. <laughs> I don't guess that's the right way of saying it. They care about the system, but to them, it's it's about the money. They have costs, they have overhead, they have systems yeah. they need to run, they have people they have to pay. And if you're constantly living hand to mouth, of you've mined all month and you have to sell it for your electricity, that's just stressful. You don't have, you have to plan ahead and, I mean, it's always good to plan ahead whenever you're doing expansions, but if uh, you knew that you could mine and that the contracts were filling themselves and paying out the people who have already given you ETC and you're a profitable mining company and you're reputable, someone could pay you for, you know, you're going to, you know, for a fact, you're going to mine 3000 ETC more or less by the end of the month. You could get that at the beginning of the month and pay your bills, do everything you want and keep your lights on and not have to worry about the backside of it because everything's taken care of on smart contracts. Uh, makes sense. Right, right. Now, um, do you have any worries or concerns for ETC? So, as Carlos said, you've been here since the beginning a year ago and we've done a lot of good work. Is there anything kind of that, that worries you? Uh, the sure. lack of uh, the user front end still has a long way to go. Okay. I said everyone's really excited about it, but I don't think that many people are <laughs> are using it as much as they're just trading it. Okay. Uh, just because we don't really have any good interfaces for it, we have the uh, the web front end and Parity is really good, and the Miss client works if you can hold your mouth right and tie some wires together and make stuff work. But there's not a there's not a functional uh, DAP front end for it. That's uh, the Emerald wallet. Whenever it comes out, that's uh, yep. one of that's its features is the its modular design. So you'll be able to plug into it and uh, make it makes application development just that much easier. Okay. Because right now there's not other than parity. There's really not a good way to do uh, multi-sig wallets. That's one of the best features that you could have. Now, why don't you, for the people that don't know, why don't you kind of explain what a multi-sig wallet is and why, why that's so so great? Uh, the multi-sig wallet is you can make it like a checking account if you want, more or less. You can have uh, a number of public keys that, mm -hmm. and then out of that number, you have a subset that controls it. So you could have two people out of three, and if as long as two people sign off on something, then the wallet will go through. Or you could have a two of two. Okay. So say you have the simplest two of two would be like just backing yourself up. If you have a wallet on your phone and a wallet on the computer okay. and you're going to make a transaction, uh, it takes both wallets approving it in order for it to go through. So you can send it from your phone and then approve it on your computer. Okay. So how would that, I'm just thinking like, so suppose we both shared an account or all three of us. Mm -hmm. So, so then I want to, spend money on it and get your approval, both of your guys' approval, how would you then send your signature to my, let's say, parity node wallet to um, make that happen? Well, if we all have parity, then it's just a simple click confirm wherever the transaction comes through. If we did a two or three and we all were running parity, 
okay. then it would have all it has all three of our public addresses in there and it has who is trying to send the money and then either uh christian or me or whoever else is gonna approve it just clicks confirm and then as long as two out of the three people approve it then it's good to go okay and so but your the concern is that if you're not all by coincidence running parity then it's not quite so easy right if, then so, everyone has to have the same uh abi code and plug okay. into either my ether wallet or okay figure it out yourself and <laughs> figure out how to send the confirm and okay. realize that a transaction's gone through okay so all right so but, yeah, i think i think we've i think we've covered every thing i can think of was there anything else that we missed carlo or to ask or cody anything that we should have asked you that you wish we asked you mm -hmm. you want to say no anything you want to talk about yeah um i mean I, I i guess i just wanted to know um maybe some things that uh i, I know you brought up that etc doesn't necessarily have that interface that's going on right now and um that's something that that definitely splits and everybody's working on with emerald wallet uh maybe we can brainstorm a little bit right now and have you know whoever's listening out there ideas that we're thinking about right now ways that etc can improve and things that we can do since you're so integral to everything that's going on with etc um maybe we could just uh think of some things right now that uh we can improve upon and things to do in the future um you, you brought up one of the key things which is you know the the emerald wallet which will fix a whole bunch of stuff but what are some other things that have been on your mind as far as getting done well like, like the to marketing to do list yeah yeah, yeah marketing. marketing how would you uh, how would you improve marketing what would you suggest there uh do marketing would probably be a good start <laughs> i don't feel like we <laughs> we're actually uh like what do you want tv commercials or what no uh, well no. i know uh uh dcg and grace grace oh, they're out there they're pressing the flesh and meeting with the industry makers and trying to make things happen and, mm -hmm. and that's great but the on the eth side they're they sell the shit out of that <laughs> okay. pretty much yeah yeah they took all the marketing with them whenever they left like i said they're having conferences and they're at the weekly weekly meetups with on all the major cities and okay consensus is constantly traveling around they meet with industry leaders and that's the first thing that they see is we're the ethereum system and this is what we do and uh -huh. there's these other scrubs that are classic don't worry with them so for the people that are listening you would like it if people were meeting with uh industry leaders and uh, if that involved having more conferences uh, yeah or whatever it takes to to meet the the power brokers that yeah meet the power brokers but also the meetups are important too being out there and wherever you go to a meetup just actually talk about etc <laughs> uh -huh. and there's always gonna be the initial uh eye roll of whenever you bring it up but uh -huh. after that everyone i've always met has been really nice about it <laughs> yeah okay okay uh yeah good, okay good. marketing meetups what else you got uh improving user user interfaces uh avoiding talking about price and stuff i know that's the funnest part and like i said that's the the traders are really the only ones who are really into it right now because that's the exciting part but all three of us were here whenever the price was 50 cents and we were trading back and forth on the slack 
so the price isn't that it's a great system without the economics of it involved the price is going to rise and the price is going to fall yeah so, very true yeah that doesn't change yeah. the fact that it's awesome technology yeah i'm definitely i'm definitely guilty of that i i had to bring up the the markets with the first thing i did on the show well it's such a crazy week how could i how could i just ignore the elephant in the room yeah well uh, yeah i uh finally got my wife to start uh doing bitcoin and holding it and the first thing that happens it goes from three thousand to twenty five hundred so are like, you serious yeah so i was like stop don't sell it just wait it's going back up well, I, I know I know we're not supposed to talk about markets, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, the funny thing is someone, I think it was uh, Barry or someone else from DCG tweeted out that Pitbull got on CNBC and was talking about Bitcoin. And someone was like, wow. this is it. It's it's over. This is the yeah. top. Because I think, I think Pitbull did the same thing with the housing market in Canada. <laughs> they like, I, I have to... I have to fact check this, but apparently he got on like CNBC or some other show and he's like, yeah, Canada real estate is hot. And then it just like fell through the floor like a week <laughs> later or something. So, yeah. so somebody, uh, somebody listening should talk to Pitbull then about ETC is what you're saying. I, yeah. No, we don't want him talking about ETC. No, 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 no. That means it's the end. I don't want him talking about ETC oh, ever. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I thought that was, that was pretty funny. Um, but uh, what else? So we we got the uh, definitely marketing meetups, um, the user interface, like you said. Yeah, transaction fees are pretty low, so that's still good. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that is. Uh, the mining is. pools. It'd be nice if everyone could spread out their hash more. That way, uh, we don't have one mm -hmm. that has thirty percent of the hash rate. That would be pretty uh, good. That's not so a, not a sexy topic, but <laughs> no, just general no. Minor not management. sexy but important so I, I there's some there's some stuff that uh people are working on that's like some smart pool implementations that i think would be really pretty cool stuff for the future i don't know if you've heard anything about that no i haven't what's that um uh, it, it's uh you know people that are working in blockchain that are working on uh this implementation that it's like decentralized uh smart you know I don't know exactly how it works since I'm obviously the least technical here, but I know that it definitely helps with the mining pool centralization issue. Yeah. Okay. Well, a lot of it, I think what it is, is whenever you first get into mining and you're download the Claymore miner or wherever it is, most people are just getting it, hitting start and letting her rip. They're not going through and actually doing research on what the different mining pools are or why there's more than one of them. So they're right. just going with the first ones that are loaded into the system. And then there's no reason to change after they're already going with it because mm. they're getting payouts regularly. So it's not, it's not like if you go to a smaller pool that you get paid less, it, you get paid based off of whatever your hash rate is, no matter what the pool is. Yeah. So the danger is if yeah. someone has 30% or 40% of the hash rate, then you're, you're pretty much just relying on that one miner and you get in situations like Bitcoin is currently where one miner can control the entire network hold everyone hostage. Now it seems like you have uh, a pretty good handle on mining and, and mining questions. I, I don't know if I could throw a mining question your way yeah, that you shoot. might might answer. not be able to answer. <laughs> so, okay, so the the whole thing that's going on with Bitcoin and Gion and ASIC boost and blocking SegWit, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
so my whole thing is that I get that people are upset that he's blocking SegWit, but one of the whole things with Bitcoin is proper incentives, or not just Bitcoin, but you know everything that's spawned from Bitcoin as well, is that all the incentives are lined up properly so that it doesn't matter if someone tries to act against the network, because then it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right? So Gian develops this ASIC boost thing, and everyone's freaking out about it. But for me, in the true vision of what pure free market, you know, capitalism that Bitcoin is, shouldn't isn't the right answer for everyone to reverse engineer the ASIC boost so that everybody has it. And then he says, okay, everyone has it, doesn't matter anymore. Let's do SegWit, right? Yeah. You would think isn't that isn't that the the proper voluntary way of all of this being carried out without destroying the network? Uh yeah. Or no? No, I think so. I think the thing is, what if you, once you activate SegWit, then you'd have to re-engineer ASIC boost. So that would right. cut into the probability a little. But but yeah, generally speaking, I don't think that a fifty-one percent attack is feasible in today's market, just because the cost yeah. of it is high. And then mm -hmm. whenever you actually did it, everyone, so many people are watching the network that it would pretty much you couldn't get it to the mm -hmm. Poloniex in time to cash out. Right, right. So I think it's much more profitable if you have – I haven't looked at what the hash rate of ETC is lately, but probably around two or three uh, tetrahashes. But uh, so if you had that much or if you had half of it and you attacked the network and your whole goal was you were going to mine your own little private chain and then throw it on the network and make a bunch of coins and cash out, by the time you did that, everyone would have already realized what had happened. And the exchanges would lock down, or the price would have already dropped so low that it wouldn't even be worth it. Uh -huh. Yeah. For me, it would be much more economical if you could just, if you had that much hash, just join the network, mine on it, and then. Yeah. See, my, my whole thing, he's definitely acting um, selfishly, but the whole point of everything is that people act selfishly and it just magically works great. Yeah. Uh, everyone so acts to, me, to me, yeah. Uh, to me, he developed something. He de he specifically developed something that makes the network stronger. To me, it's up to everybody else to catch up to him and make his advantage moot. And then, when his advantage is moot, then he says, "Okay, guys, let's do SegWit." Right. Or or, or am I just way off base on that? No. I, I still haven't asked anyone. I, I have to speak to more Bitcoin-centric people about this, but it's just a thought I had recently. Yeah, mine's a mine's an arms race basically. Right now on mm. classic and uh, regular Ethereum, you can't buy video cards anywhere. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's the point it's got at is where you can't we can't do ASIC. So the only way to do it is to have the best GPU. Mm. And right, right now you cannot buy the RX uh, five seventy or five eighty or even four seventy the four eighties are out of stock worldwide. And as soon as they hit, <laughs> as soon as they hit Amazon or Best Buy or anywhere, they're gone the same day. I know, uh, yeah, Corey, uh, the uh, he runs the mine, a mine for ETC and a couple other chains. Uh, his company started putting together pre-built mining rigs that are, had four eighties in them, and they released them yesterday. It was two hundred mega hashes, uh, plug and play mining system. And it took maybe two hours, and 
they were sold out. Wow. So it's he's in it's, the right business then. <laughs> yeah, it's right now it's crazy. People are selling uh, their mining rigs on Craigslist for like four thousand dollars, and it's maybe a thousand dollars worth of parts in it. Wow. Yeah. So uh, for anyone that's listening and was wondering who Corey is, um, uh, Corey is, has been a huge part of the community as well. And shout out to Minertopia mm-hmm. as well. Um, that's his his website that he sells mining stuff from. Uh, so maybe we'll put a link to that in the, the description below, along with some of the other relevant links. But uh, so he sold out in how long? In two hours? Yeah, it was by the time I was. <laughs> I saw it on the Slack, and by the time I drove home, they were already, I couldn't get any. So yeah. I'm currently in the That's market the for uh, mining cards if anyone has any. Don't, <laughs> don't panic at CodyWBurns.com. I have four or five slots open on my mining rig that I was building. Okay. Wow. So I was hoping Father's Day would be one of those times where everyone released cards, but it doesn't look like it. So. Yeah. And what are these? The the RX the RX five seventy. Uh, yeah. What's the best one in your opinion? Uh, the five seventy, I think, is the best as far as cost and uh, cost per mega hash. The five eighties are nice, but the five seventies are the money makers, more or less. And who is the manufacturer what, that makes these? Uh, A and B. Okay. And what what should someone be paying for something like this? What's a what's a good price? If you find them in Best Buy or a Fry's or a store, you can pay probably a hundred and ninety dollars, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so should should I, should I be picking these up right now? Because I see that Best Buy has them in my area or something. Do they? Where are you at? I'll drive there. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm gonna like click on it. It's gonna say out of stock probably or something, right? Yeah. But uh, no, right now they're going on Amazon and eBay for probably four or five hundred dollars a piece. Ne- Neobits has it for two eleven. Yeah, back ordered there. Neobits and uh, I think next. Uh, so you know, <laughs> back next ordered you're right. Too. Yeah. Holy no, I said, cow! Globally, they're sold out. That's insane. So I mean, it really sucks for other systems because I know uh, those are awesome for VR stuff. If you have uh, Oculus or anything like that, those are the cards to have. Now, when did the five seventies come out? Uh. I have, I'm not sure I haven't been mining that long. I know it was recently, like within the last six months or so. They're okay. So so if I just like, if I bought a warehouse full of them six months ago, I could be selling them for $300 each right now or something? Yep. That's about the size of it. Should have, should have bought that. Yeah. Well, even the previous generation, the 470s and 480s, they're, they're still really good. And they're in a lot of mining rigs and you can't buy them anywhere either. Okay. It's wow. Just, it's the, I guess, the other side of the market. The mining, it pretty much works the same as trading does. The miners are going to move to whatever's the most profitable coin. So if Ethereum's the one that's the moneymaker right now, everyone's going to pile onto that one until the hash rate rises so much that it breaks even with all the other coins. If Zcash price shoots up, then everyone, all the swing miners, I guess is what you call them, <laughs> they're going to go to that chain. Because ETC has always had a, a base hash rate. But whenever the price yeah. rises, we more minor, miners pile on, and then whenever it goes down, some fluff off to other coins. So, uh, so what to mine dot coin is or dot com is where you can check and see what your where the best profit is for whatever you're mining. So, have you been pretty happy with the amount of money you make mining versus the electricity bills? That you oh yeah, it, it definitely pays for itself easily. 
Okay. So do you plan to keep scaling up and do more and more mining if you can because it it's profitable then? Uh, there's a point where I'm pretty much at where my wife's going to make me not have stuff in the house anymore. That's what I was going to ask. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eventually it gets annoying to have the, the loud computers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So right now it's still in the corner. So it's she's gotten curious about it. Of Why does it seem like I keep buying more cards for it? And it's getting bigger and bigger, but it's not to the, okay, okay seriously, what's going on here? Page yet. <laughs> I see. So, yeah, so she's I not, she's not, He's not worried about you yet, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a nuisance mm -hmm. yet. It doesn't scare the dog. It's still more quiet than the uh, than the Roomba. So, does it heat up the house though? Uh, no, not not really. I don't have that many cards. Okay, I'm I'm small scale. <laughs> My rig's trying to get six cards fill. Like I said, it's <laughs> difficult. Anything else? He's he's trying he's trying to get to the point where his wife is worried about him. Yeah, <laughs> he's almost there. Yeah, yeah. almost there. Anything else? And then you can still need to cover. Uh, no, I... that we missed. Nothing I can think of. All right. I think well, that covers you. all the bases. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Cody, for uh, all your wisdom and for sharing your thoughts with us today. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank yeah, absolutely. Really uh, great to have you on. We'd love to have you on again sometime, as well as uh, everyone else from ETC Dev and everyone from um, participating on the Groton Deep team from IOHK and anybody else from the community that uh, really participates a lot. I, I'm always open to having you guys uh, on the show. So just reach out to me on Slack or on, on Reddit or any other uh, way that you do know how to reach me. And I'd be I'd love to have you on. So uh, for everybody listening, I appreciate uh, the time you took to check out the show and listen to everything uh, Cody has to say. He's a great part of the community and looking forward to the next show, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Christian, thanks again. Cody, thanks again. Take care, guys. Good night. Some 